So good morning. We're finishing off our mini series here, uh, this three-part series that we started two weeks ago, and today is the last one. Uh, and we're going through kind of who we are as a church, who we are as five stones, what defines us. And we've gone through the ideas of what our mission statement is, right? So what is the mission statement? Once again, this is the last time, five stones. What's our mission statement? Every week, you guys just get better and better. Good job, guys. Amazing. All right, so two weeks ago, we started off with the gospel and how the gospel centers our church. That we remember that it's always the gospel of Jesus that we exist as a church. That the gospel is where we found our foundation. It's through the gospel that we as people are transformed. And then last week we talked about what it means to be the worshipful church. Because as disciples we need to, what, what forms our discipleship is who we worship. What forms who we are as followers of Jesus is determined by the thing that we worship the most. And if we call ourselves disciples, then we therefore need to set our eyes on the one that sets the stage for us. And so what the gospel sets in the person of Jesus, we are then disciples of Jesus. Then today we're talking about one thing that often the church overlooks or in a place where we, not, we, we might not fully understand, and that's the missional church. See, most of us know that we need, that we need to be missional, right? That none, none of us will disagree with that. None of us will disagree that we need to really live out our faith. But I feel like when we think about missional church, we either think that we either need to be the next Billy Graham where we're speaking at crusades and we're going out there and we're evangelizing to everybody. Or the other thing we think of is of missional church is that we need to go to harder places than our own homes, whether we have to go overseas or to, to Africa, South, South America, or to Asia, or to anywhere else but our own home and to do missions trip. That's what we generally think of when we think of missions trips. And oftentimes, when we think about what missional church is, we feel like, I can't do it. That's just not me. Because I'm not Billy Graham. I can't evangelize like Billy Graham. I can't preach like that. And I don't feel like I'm called to go to those places because I like my Starbucks and I like my, my home and I like my comforts and I don't really like to step outside of my comfort zone to go into those hard places to work. So I don't think it's me. And so what ends up happening is we have a church that tends to go to church on Sundays and then live out the rest of our days on our own. But Jesus told us that that's not what Christianity is about. That Christianity, as followers, we are to be salt and light. That we are to actively engage in what we know as a great commission that is laid out to us in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. It means that we need to be a part of what Jesus means, that we must embrace this call, and that we need to intentionally live that out. 
So today that's what we're going to look at. But before that, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask for your spirit to come and transform us. Lord, we ask that you are at the center of who we are. We're humbled and we worship you for what you've done and what you're doing. So as we come to you today, as a church, please give us your heart and teach us your ways. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I also have it up on the screen, but pull out your Bibles as well. In Acts 1, 8, it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in this verse, there's actually two observations that we see here. First is that you will receive power of the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, you will be my witnesses. You see, these are the, the last words of Jesus before he left his disciples. This is when we, when we look at this, this scene that's happening. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says these exact words before he ascends into heaven and he disappears from the sight of the disciples. And he's like, this is my last charge for you. This is my last charge for the church. That these are clear instructions in which he gives to establish the church. See, since the fall of man and sin broke, since the fall of man, sin and brokenness entered into, into, into our world. And so God has the one mission. So when we all know this story, right? Adam and Eve created the, the creation story. God created the earth. Adam and Eve was formed. Uh, then they disobeyed. The fall of man came in. Sin came in. And from that moment on, God had one mission. That mission was to reconcile all of creation, all that God created, back to himself. This term that we know is called missio dei. It's called the mission of God. In Latin theological terms, it can be translated as the mission of God or the sending of God. That God sent his son Jesus as part of this mission to begin the reconciliation. And then after Jesus, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church. And then as recipients of God's grace, therefore the church becomes the instrument of grace to others. So therefore, the church becomes the ambassadors of this mission of reconciliation. So how are we to engage this mission? Well, in Acts, the verses that we just read, it says that first we will be what? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus tells his disciples right before he says this phrase, he says, wait. Don't go anywhere yet. Wait, because there is a gift that is to come. And that, this gift that my father, the Father promised you and which you have heard me speak about. You have to wait. You have to wait for this. Okay? And that gift, as we know it, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That when the church first began in that upper room, that the Holy Spirit fell in that place. One of the things as a church we need to understand is that we need to understand what this looks like. 
What it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It means that we as a church are being transformed by the gospel. How does that look like? The transformation of worship and discipleship begin that we begin to live looks more and more like people who love, people who have joy, people that find peace, that exercise patience, that shows kindness, that practice goodness, that remains faithful, that exhibits gentleness, and that exercises self-control. If you don't know what these things are, these are what we call the fruits of the Spirit. That if the Spirit empowers a church, that the church begins to look this way. Because this is the outflow of what the, the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And so therefore, as a church, we need to start exhibiting these fruits. This is the authentic life that the disciples lived out. I know as a church and as people, we're all on our personal journey and not all of us at this point exhibit all of these things. However, one of the first things that we experience when we encounter the Holy Spirit, remember that moment of salvation? Remember that moment where we are filled with the Spirit? What is the first thing that you felt? Love. Love is one of the things that we feel. It's also why it's first on the list. That when we come into our relationship with Jesus, the first thing we feel is loved. When we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we experience love. God is love. And Jesus says in John 13, 34 to 35, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, love is the distinctive mark of the church. Love is what draws people to Christ. And this love begins in the church and extends beyond the church into our community. And it demonstrates the compassion of Christ. So church, we need to be intentional in actively engaging in our communities. That we are to love and to actively seek out opportunities within our circles that you are to bring that love and that gospel of Jesus to that place. To love is to bring hope to the hopeless and to bring light into the darkness. You see, it may sound easy, but loving people is not easy. To love people that you like is easy. To love people that are like you is also very easy. But to love people is very, very hard. To love people that may have a different lifestyle than you, or different opinions, or different values, or different just outlook in life is very hard. But you see, the mission of God is that he so loved the world. And when he says that he so loved the world, it's everyone in it. It includes those that have offended you, those that you consider enemies. It includes those that you don't want to sit next to. But our mission is that. Our call is that. 
But God doesn't ask you to do it on your own. God doesn't ask you to do it out of your own strength or out of what you understand is love. Jesus said, I will give you a helper. Who's that helper? There's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come alongside you to love others, to love those that are difficult, to love those that we may not necessarily see ourselves loving, to love people where they're at, to understand that to, to love means to understand the culture that they are living in is who they are. If you cannot love these people in their space, how are you going to bring hope into their space? Oftentimes we see Christians in the church just going, it's like, okay, we need to love people, we need to go out there, we need to be missional, we need to evangelize. But here's where we make the biggest mistake, is that we do it on our terms, and we don't do it on their terms. We do it in a place where we think and we assume that this is what they need instead of what they actually need, and we go and fulfill those needs. We're not loving them where they're at. We're not extending the love of Christ to their space. All we're doing is we're cramming down the four spiritual laws and we're saying, you need this and you need to do it this way. That's not how Jesus did ministry, people. Jesus did ministry in meeting the the needs of people first. He got down. Jesus, how many times do we read in the Bible that Jesus got down on his knees to meet people? That he met people exactly where they're at in life. That he, he goes and he extends compassion, mercy, and grace before he extends the gospel of, of, of himself, of the, the good news of what he's about to do. That he calls them out and he brings them in by calling them into this, by, by, by calling them and say, I want to invite you into this space. But he meets them at their, what they know, what their cultural context is. When Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree, Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector, right? A tax collector is seen as one of the worst people in those times. Nobody wanted to see them. Nobody wants to be friends with tax collectors. Tax collectors were corrupt. Nobody, everybody saw them as just grabbing money for the, for, for the Roman Empire, and nobody cared about who these people are. Jesus not only called Zacchaeus down from the tree, he went to his house and met with his people. That's what love means, that we meet them where they're at. Okay, church? It means that if we are talking to somebody and we know that they need the gospel of Jesus Christ, how do you love them in the space that they are now? Okay? Right now. That's understanding their culture. And when we understand their culture... And when they feel that we want to get to know who they are, they're going to invite you into their space. And when they invite you into their space, then you're able to extend the hope 
that God has for them. Then you're able to extend the grace that they have for them. Then you're able to show the compassion of Jesus into their lives. Then you're able to show kindness to who they are. Why? Because the kindness leads them to repentance. Right? Oftentimes we have these assumptions of people. We all carry them. We all carry assumptions. We look at people, we look at their appearance, we, we see them and we, we assume certain things of the, who they are, what they do, what they listen to. Um, but we never really sit down and listen to their story, do we? You see, there's many things that make people who they are. There's family dynamics, family upbringings, some things that bring hurt, something that brings hurt, pain. All of these things begin to form that person's worldview. Different situations like peer pressure, peer bullying that it could shape the way that people react. But all of the things that these people have encountered, that people in this world, even yourself, that you've encountered, begin to shape who you are. It shapes the way that we behave. And what the church tends to see is the brokenness first, and then we judge them by that. They're quick to say, you need to change these things without offering the only person and the only thing that could help them change. That's not loving. Loving is extending compassion first. Loving is extending kindness first. Loving is extending mercy and grace. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you on the cross. Church, we need to understand that to understand the culture that they're in, to understand and to be relevant to who they are doesn't mean that we compromise on the unchanging message of Jesus. But even Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 that I have, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible, me, all possible means I might save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may share in his blessing. We need to understand the culture. We need to understand the context of which people comes, where people come from. But the church fears that when we are relevant, we compromise the truth, and this is not what I'm saying. I'm calling us as five stones to find a creative and meaningful way to engage with people where they're at. Not to compromise on, on scripture, not to compromise on what, what Jesus established but to engage people. This is how Jesus called his disciples first. He met them where they're at. He used their language. He called them to follow him. A missional church is not about making converts, but it's about making disciples. 
We're not to invest. We are to invest into people. The church is about, you see, our church is, is the modern day church, not our church. I would say the modern day church has lost, that, lost sight of that. That we focus more on our programs and our building and we forget about the people. Being missional is about mentoring and teaching and guiding, guiding people to become more like Jesus and empowering them to live out their faith and to influence the world around them. You see, as a church, we must recognize that we are called to, be, to step outside of our comfort zones. That the last 40 years that the church has been doing things, that there's this church strategy, which we'll, we'll call it attract, attractional evangelism or the attractional church. Then these last 40 years, the church's strategy was to attract people to come to church. And what we get out of that is the seeker-friendly approach that a lot of the mega churches around the world we see actually grew because of this. It was about the music, it was about the programs, about the events, about the kids' programs, about the lights, the glam, the fun. It was about the professional presentations. And it was about getting people through the doors. And this is not a bad strategy. But what happens is that when we become event-driven and focus all our energy into running the events and programs, we forget about the people that are hidden and hurting within those programs. Don't get me wrong. There should be something attractional about the church, okay? There's something, there should be something attractive about the church because the first mega church in Acts attracted a lot of people. But they attracted people through bold, uncompromising proclamation of the gospel and the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. The attractional nature of the early church was due to the power of God that changed lives. That's what needs to attract people. Not the lights, not the glam, not the music, not how cool we look on stage, not our sneakers or watches. But it should be what God is doing in that church, how God is transforming people in that church. And the good news that brings hope to the hopeless, that frees the captives, that brings healing to those that are hurting. But more so than this, one of our challenges is that the church tends right now to be more inward focused. I think part of this is due to the individualistic and consumer mentality that our culture perpetuates. But we have perpetuated an inward posture. But the church needs to remember that the purpose of the church is to glorify God and to participate in his mission for redemption. Acts 4 gives us a beautiful example of the early church. It says this, Acts 4, 32 to 37, if you have your Bibles turned there, it says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any other possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them 
all that the sorry all that there were no needy persons among them that's incredible that there was not a needy person among them for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money to the, from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had needs Joseph a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the most beautiful picture of the church that I could see. But to get to this place requires us to look at our lives and say, what is the good news that's transformed me? Who is it that we worship? And what is our purpose here? You see, the apostles continue to testify. This testify, this testimony is a testimony of what Jesus is doing in their lives. That they're giving glory to what Jesus has done. That Jesus established something that is so beautiful that they want to testify. They want to speak about it. They want to be the witnesses to what? To the ends of the earth. The other thing that's crazy for me is that this church, no one claimed any of their own possessions and they shared everything that they had to a place where no one in their community was in need. That is crazy to me. Imagine our community where none of us had needs. Imagine beyond Five Stones Wall, imagine New West, small city with a lot of people. Imagine the city of New West with no needs. This is what the church is called to do, guys. that we saw our own possessions as something that we could sell off so that we could have the money to help those in need. That is the primary example of store up your treasures in heaven. You know what I mean? Primary example of store up your treasures in heaven because God sees what your heart is doing that his bank account is bigger than ours. That he's like, as you give, then I could bless. That as you sacrifice, then I could come into that space. When we start meeting people's needs in those places, imagine what glory God gets. Imagine how many lives can be transformed. Imagine what this community could become. This will change the world. It should change the world. And it did change the world. But church, sometimes we need to look at ourselves and we have to realign ourselves. It's not that we're not doing the right thing. But we have to realign what our mission is, what, what, what we're supposed to be doing. 
I'm still waiting for that one person to sell off their homes and give the proceeds to the church and say, here, give it to the community and fulfill those needs. Because one home in Vancouver is a lot of money. We're not talking about a home in Saskatchewan, right? We're talking about a home in Vancouver, which is 10 times the price of what is in Saskatchewan. See how much more money you could actually do with it. And how many things that you could actually do with that. That you sell off your home and you give it to those that are in need. Insane. Insane philosophy. But that's what God called us to do. Because there was a willingness to not be self-centered. But to be other-centered. This is a missional mindset. It was about community impact. It was about community influence. The draw was to take care of the needs of the, of the community. But we must never forget that the gospel is the foundation of this. That there needs to be a good news that, bring, that, that comes with it. That there needs to be hope, there needs to be life, there needs to be love that comes alongside all of this. Because this is the mission of God. So we must hold on to that gospel that says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. Hold on to it, because this is what, this has power, it transforms the world, and this world needs transformation. To be, to be missional is not an add-on to our faith. It's actually not optional. It is the core identity of followers of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, I don't think there's only one way to be missional. I think that we have diversity in the church, right? We're a bunch of weirdos coming together, right? Every week, we, the last three weeks, two weeks, I've been talking about all of us weirdos here at Five Stones. But we're weirdos because we bring in diversity into this family. Because there are many different types of people out there in the world. And that we could come together central and, and brought united together because of who Jesus is. And out of this diversity, we're able to reach so many more people. Right? I don't think that there's one way. I don't think that we all have to pound the pavement and, and get on a loudspeaker. If that's your way, you know what? I'm gonna support you in that. But if your way is more quiet, that's okay too. Be creative in the way that you actually get into the space of people and extend the love of Jesus. To give hope to people. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm shy. You know what, I'm shy too. I stand up here every week, but I'm actually a very shy person. I'm not one that is charismatic in my, my, my personality. I don't draw people in. Some people, you know how they just draw so many people in because of who they are, I'm not one. I, I, I actually tend to, tend to like stay in the background. I like the shadows. But even in that space, you're able to draw people in. 
even in that space, be creative in how you interact with people. I'm not asking you guys to stand on a stadium to be Billy Graham. I'm asking you guys just to be Christ wherever you are. Just to extend the love of Jesus wherever you are. If you're a tattoo artist, be Christ to your clients. Extend the love, exude love. Love them where they're at. Why? Because Jesus loved me. When you're talking to your clients, if you're a hairdresser, I mean, I went to get a haircut yesterday, they talk so much. It's an opportunity for you to have that conversation. Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, <laughs> you're a pastor. It's instant counseling session. It's just like they pour out their lives and you're just like, I'm just, I'm just like, oh, I just want to cut my hair. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Get into their space. Meet them where they're at. That's your creativity. How you connect to people is part of your creativity. If it's through your art, through your music, through your math skills of accounting, through your legal aid advice, through your retirement of meeting people, playing pickleball, all those things are venues and and places that God has placed you so that you can communicate his glory. Do in those places. If you're a nurse, oh, great time. Oh, they're on their deathbed. Hey, you need Jesus? <laughs> right? You're going somewhere after this. Do you know where you're going? Be creative. Because you're not doing it on, on your own. You're not. Acts 1.8, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit will come upon you and then you will be my witnesses. Right? Receive the power and then you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit and be witnesses of Christ. It begins with your community that you are placed in, the people that you are around. You see, it takes courage and it takes an over, it takes overcoming our fears and stepping out of our comfort zone. But allow the love of Jesus to be your motivator. Allow the work of the Holy Spirit who have transformed you to empower you to do this. Like God's love be known let it give hope to the people. Let it bring light into darkness. Let it heal the brokenhearted. This is our ministry because we are the church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we get to participate in your ministry in the way that you have created us. So Father, we come before you and we just ask for your spirit to fall on our lives. Empower us to become your witnesses. And Lord, that 
as we live our lives that we continuously give glory to what you're doing to transform the way that we live, the way that we see things, the way that we feel, that we are more aligned with who you are as Christ. So Jesus, we come and we just ask for you to give us compassion and mercy. Extend it to us first so that we could be that extension to others. So Lord, we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are church. We are. We are the church. Uh, thanks. thanks to uh, Pastor John. Uh, he delivered a wonderful message to remind us, to remind us we all can have influence in this world when we remember that Jesus loved us first. He gave his life for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us while we were still broken. And that's how we ought to love the world and people around us. And we need to show that with our church people here to, to love in such a way that uh, we accept them as they are and let that be the influence that will influence the rest of our lives and the, the world. I'm just so glad that uh, Pastor John mentioned about how we, we need to be a people that uh, get to be in the space of others first. Let our lives just reflect that. I remember one time when I was uh, just uh, ministering to a, uh, a Muslim, you know, like how different, <laughs> right? How different the, the values and the, uh, the culture is from, uh, from, a, uh, from, from a Christian one that I have. But I just accepted that person as she is. And uh, didn't preach, didn't I let her voice her needs. And then she slowly, after weeks, just say, hey, I see you're, you have something different. You're a pastor. Because when I go to, to, the, um, to the mosque and hear the imams, they, they always cry. But with you, <laughs> you, you smile, you, you laugh. You sing songs of joy. It's different. I think that's the way to influence others and to, to win them when we can show them that we love them and accept them as they are and, and, and not question their beliefs or just, just be who you are. Just love, just like Jesus loved us first, right? Jesus loved us while we were still broken and ugly and dirty with sin and he loved and he died for all of us I think that's the way to go for church and we are church we are the church and we need to show that sometimes I see the, the news around us about evangelical Christians and I, I just cry because it's just horrible some of the news that's been spread about Christians so judgmental and so you know, it's, it's all about our culture versus the culture of the world. You know, we need to protect the Christian culture and, and so on. So there's a culture war and, and all that. 
why? Why, is, why should there be a culture war? We ought to love. That's our first thing that we got to do. That's what Jesus did for us. He didn't come and say, let's do culture wars, right? Yeah, let, let's, let's, do, uh, let's, let's just go ballistic with everything that this whole world is, 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 is uh, doing. No, He just loved us, died for us. He humbly met us where we are at. So today, I, I trust that you, the church, that we together would love others as Christ has loved us. Do you, do you th- remember what John chapter 13, 34, 35 said? Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And how did He love us? Right? You gotta remember that. Take it home with you. Just meditate on that as He has loved us. How, how has He loved us with our brokenness, with our sin, with our all that? Father God, as we reflect on Your great love for all of us, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God, through Jesus Christ who loved us, who gave His life for us, who went to the cross broken, And I pray that we would be a people that would break for others. But people that would would love to the point where we give up our our hearts, our lives for others. Loving them rather than cursing them. Loving them rather than judging them. Loving them rather than criticizing them, loving them rather than just being angry about or critical about all that their culture represents. Help us have such a brokenness just as you did, Jesus, when you broke your body and poured out your blood for us. What love. And may we just exemplify that. May we just show it, exhibit that, and give it away to others. Help us to never forget what you have done for us. Help us to rehearse that in our lives so that that will be the gospel that we can take to others when we love as you have loved us. And love... And love will be the way to show the world that we are truly your disciples. So lead us on, we pray by your Holy Spirit. Lead us on to a place where we would truly, truly let your love shine through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.